Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Good morning. All right. This is going to be a new era for the morning show. What are you talking about? What does that even mean? You know. <laughs> it's a new era. You know. Taking it to the next level. Yeah, it's time to take it to the next level. And why would we do that? There are going to be some great parties. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the weekend. All right, then. Let's get this party started. I don't want this Saturday. Bringing you all the news and the newsmakers on News Talk 1480 WHBC. Good morning. This is David Held on Saturday morning here at WHBC. And uh, it's 35 degrees outside, but it is beautiful and it is sunny outside today. We're going to be having uh, two really special guests on the program here this morning. The first, first guest we're going to have is somebody that has accomplished a really, really incredible incredible feat. When you look at uh, human achievement, you wonder how far can somebody push their body? Now, John, when you typically, and by the way, John, I noticed this morning you had an incredible amount of energy this morning, a renewed amount of energy this morning, as compared maybe to weeks previously. Any guess why that might be? Uh, because I got a night of sleep last night. You got a night of sleep. (laughs) And the reason why is because we did not have high school football last night. Now that will change probably here in a couple of weeks when high school basketball starts to come into the fray again. But, uh, as of right now, um, you know, a little bit more time to relax, I guess you could say. So you had more time to relax. I could tell you came into the studio here, you're alive, you're fresh, and you have slept well. Sleep does make a difference, doesn't it? It does, it does. You can never, you can never catch up on sleep. That's definitely something I've learned, but you can, you can sure as hell try. Well, you can try, you can try. Well, when you talk about sleep and you talk about achievement, we have a guest that's going to come on this morning. His name is Randy Whitmer. He works at the Cleveland Clinic, and uh, not only has he run marathons and how how far is a marathon i've never ran a marathon it's 26.2 miles 26.2 miles okay i've never run a marathon either i just never ran a marathon (laughs) i just know that's the length for a marathon that's the length for a marathon so how far do you think a human being can run in a race i think if a human being wanted to push themselves to the level of running that forrest gump does they could Probably do so. Well, well, we have a man that is local here that pushed himself in a race, believe it or not. And see, this is, we are truth seekers here on this show, John, truth seekers. So when people talk about whether something was done or accomplished, we don't just talk about it. We try to get the witnesses to see the truth. And we're going to be seeking truth today. Randy Whitmer ran a 2 Hundred mile race. He didn't drive it in a car. He didn't walk it. He ran it. A two hundred mile race. Uh, actually, it was his second time that he's done it out in Lake Tahoe. So we're not talking about like running around a track at a local football stadium. We're talking rugged, hilly, up and down mountainous terrain. 200 miles and uh he's going to come on the program he's going to tell us why he did it how he did it and what it was like from the first time he did it to the second so some people have run 26 miles some people have run you know uh, 50 miles and then i always considered the you know just from what i've read i've never ran a 100 miles but the 100 miles was the ultimate race. And Randy is a neighbor of mine, and I see him walking 
with his wife, not running, just walking, up and down the, you know, through the neighborhood. And I noticed he was really, really lean, really lean. And I asked him, what are you doing to stay in such great shape? He said, well, I'm running ultra marathons. And I thought, well, that's, that's cool. I asked him whether it was a 50 miler or a hundred miler. And he said, 200 miles. So he's going to be on the show today. Uh, 200 miles. Is he still running now? Actually, he had a so shoulder surgery, so he's taking a break right now. Uh, but, I mean, he just did this like a few months ago. I mean, so very, very impressive. Very impressive. Randy Whitmer. And then uh, a little bit after 10 o'clock this morning, we're going to have our new, when you're talking about truth seekers on this show, seeking out the truth, one of the leading truth seekers in the county, one of the new leading truth seekers when it comes to justice in the county, the new county prosecutor, Kyle Stone. He's a young man, 37 years old, the first African-American elected prosecutor in Stark County. First, first person ever. I'm, I think he may be the youngest county prosecutor. That sounds right. I seem to remember hearing that at the time. 37 years old. I mean, heck, to run for president, you've got to be how old? 35. Older. Yeah, I mean, that's... 35. So he's old enough to run for president. Uh, but it's it's rare that you find people in their 30s, 20s or 30s, that are running for such a big office as county prosecutor, well, Kyle decided to run. And uh, what was interesting, I remember reading in the uh, in the paper that people said to him, well, it's good that you're running. And if you don't win the first time, you can always run another time. And Kyle had mentioned, I'm not in this race to lose. He was in it to win. Now he was running against John Ferraro, who was a long-standing elected official in Stark County and a long-standing county prosecutor who was in there for a number of years. And, um, and Kyle ran, he won, and it was a close race. Close, close race. Were you kind of surprised at some of the results in the local races? Yeah, I mean, there were... There were certainly some that I was surprised by. Um, I I think I did expect uh, John to win that race just, you know, because he'd been in there for a number of years. I don't think it was anything to do with, I don't think it was anything to do with Kyle not being capable. I think it was to do with, right. you know, John was, it, it's tough to beat the incumbent. That's it right. just is. And and I guess I, I probably anticipated that that was going to happen again because that's, you know, that's typically how politics work, is that if you're the incumbent, you have, a, you have an advantage. You just do. You've got an advantage. They say typically an incumbent has a 40-point advantage, typically a 40-point advantage. So if, um, and, there, and there were no problems in the prosecutor's office, uh, you know, no, no apparent uh, uh, challenges or difficulties. And, uh, but this young man, he ran a very aggressive campaign, and he was in it to win. He's also, what's unique about Kyle is he has uh, four degrees. He's, um, of course, he's got his law degree. He also has a uh, degree in public administration and a degree in ministry. So he's an attorney, he's a minister, and a degree in public administration. So from an educational standpoint, he is well-equipped. Mm-hmm. He is well-equipped to bring justice and righteousness into our court system, which is going to be important. So we're going to talk to Kyle a little bit after 10 o'clock this morning. Randy Whitmer, we're going to be talking to Randy. He ran 200 miles in a race. He did do it over a number of days. And um, he said that he slept... Uh, or like along the trail for three hours. That was like the max. Three hours. I think surviving on three hours sleep 
But you know what that's like, John, surviving on minimal sleep. <laughs> it's not easy, is it? No. It's, but, not, it's not fun either. But then getting up and running all day long. All day long. So I think it took him less than a week to do that, which is very impressive. So we're going to take a break, and um, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to be talking with some really interesting people. So if you're talking about, uh, if you're thinking about what kind of challenges you have today, just think about Randy Whitmer, who ran 200 miles. We'll be back Saturday morning, News Talk 1480. I don't want this Good morning. It's David Held on Saturday morning. It's 36 degrees outside. It's 923. It's a beautiful, beautiful sunny day. And, um, you know, when you look at a lot of things that people are going through, people are being stretched to the limit, stretched to their physical and mental limit. And when we talk about the limits of human beings, uh, it's always very fascinating. And uh, ultra marathons are a way that uh, men and women have challenged themselves over the years. And if you look it up on online, an ultramarathon, they'll say that it's uh, the so-called ultramarathon runners can run from 35 miles up to 100 miles. That's a 35-mile race or up to a 100-mile race. Well, there is a man in Stark County. He's, uh, he's an employee at the Cleveland Clinic, and he not only ran a 35-mile race, not just 100 miles, but he actually ran a 200-mile race. Now, if I were to tell other people that, they probably wouldn't believe me. So we've have truth seekers on the radio here, right, John? Truth seekers, we've got them on the line. Randy Whitmer. Randy, how are you this morning? Morning, Dave. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Happy post-Thanksgiving. And so when... You, do you even tell people very often that you ran a 200-mile race? Do they believe you? Um, I, well, you're breaking up for me a little bit. I, okay. I'm having a, a hard time yeah. catching all of your sentences. All right. Can, can you, how about now? Is it okay now? Yeah, that much better. Thank you. Okay. So when you're, when you're talking with people and you tell them a, that you've ran a 200-mile race, <laughs> do, they even, do they even believe you? Well, not usually, because I I think most people don't even know something like that exists. 200 milers are relatively new. Uh, I think for the 100-mile crowd, uh, it it was the next logical step to say, all right, right, what else is the body able to accomplish? And so they were born just several years ago, and uh, and a few more starting to hit the market now. But, yeah, for the most part, most people don't know those exist. 200-mile race. So when you have... um... What what was the you know what did you start out with you started out with what a five k and then <laughs> worked your way up to a marathon or how did it how did it go? Well, I had a, had a buddy of mine, Bert Hackenberg, um, great guy. A number of years ago, asked me if I would be interested in training for uh, a marathon with him, and I I had no idea what that entailed. I just said sure, and so we started the next morning. I think it was a thirteen mile run. So I, I, it was a learning experience and, and a lot of learning since then. So no. I started running those kind of races. And then um, I heard about this 100-miler that existed called Burning River 100, um, put on by Western Reserve Racing. Uh, great race. And uh, there was, they had a national championship uh, several years ago. And so I guess it was about seven years ago now. And I wanted to try my hand at that. And so that was my first foray into the the very long races and i now how old were, how old were you at the time when you ran your first marathon uh my first marathon yeah first marathon that uh, i i think i was probably 37 38 37 37 okay and uh and and now how many years later is it that you that uh tell us the progression here you when did you run your first well, hundred over over 13 years i graduated from the uh from the marathon distance into the ultra distances, and um, and then my favorite of the ultra distances are the the hundred and two hundred milers, and uh, those hundred milers I've been running probably in the last 
six years, six or seven years, and then um, 200 in the, in the last three years. I've run a couple 200s, and I've, I've got some others in mind uh, for the, the foreseeable future that I'd like to get in. All right, so how many 100-mile races have you ran? I've, I've done five 100-mile mile races. But you've ran five 100-mile races. Yes. Yeah. And how How like how long does it take you to run a 100 mile race? Uh, the last one I did, um, it was 19 and a half hours. 19 and, and a half hours. Now, was that straight through? Did you take a break? Yes. On a hundred mile race, um, I I do try to be competitive, um, and and so my goal is is different than um, a lot of people that will will line up for those races. I do not stop. Uh, I didn't even change shoes for the last one. Um, so I, I, I tell you what, the, one of the most important things is having a great crew. Uh, my wife, Binu, my parents, uh, and my kids were there. And I would come through an aid station, and they would all be standing with holding things, fluids or any nutrition that I, I may need. And so I'd come through, I'd quick replenish and um, take Garn out and, and be back in the, uh, in the race. So um, on those, I don't stop uh, for any reason and uh, run them straight through. So 19 and a half hours is not typical for those. I would say most people are trying to, they have a goal of hitting the 24-hour mark. Um, but I'd say most people probably finish that in 27 to 30 hours. 27 and, to 30 that, hours. That's a... That's a, a grueling amount of time, no doubt about it. Well, it's it's a, it's it's unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. Uh, Randy, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to find out what made you decide to run a two hundred mile race. This is David Held. It's News Talk fourteen eighty on Saturday morning, and we're talking with Randy Whitmer, our two hundred mile racer. We'll be back. I don't want this Saturday. Good morning. It's Saturday morning. It's beautiful. It's sunny. We're going to have a great day. And uh, we've got a really, really interesting person on the line right now. Uh, When you look at challenges and pushing the human abilities, uh, our guest right now on the line, Randy Whitmer. Randy is, uh, is a Stark County resident, lives up in North Canton, and he's not only run a marathon, 26 point, what is that, 26.2 miles? Uh, right. He's run 105 100-mile races and then decided to go and take it to the, I think it's the highest level, 200-mile races. He actually did that twice. You did it tri- twice, right, Randy? Right. So I wasn't happy with the performance on the first one, so I wanted to go at it again. <laughs> That's funny. How long did it take you the first time to run 200 miles? Uh, I I should know this right off the top of my head, but I'm I'm struggling to remember right now. I want to say it it took me about um, 87 hours, something in that neighborhood. 87 hours. So you know what people are thinking now that you couldn't remember that, Randy? They're thinking maybe you ran too long. It's affecting his memory. (laughs) <laughs> 87 yeah. hours. So how did you break that up? Did you have a strategy to when you were breaking, uh, you know, breaking it down? Absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, I pulled out my folders this morning. Um, anytime I get to a hundred or 200 mile race, it, it, it does take a lot of strategy, strategy in your nutrition strategy um, and your training, the races leading up to it. And then certainly on race day, um, I set out, everything I want to happen when I hit an aid station. So if I look at a 200 miler, the difference in, in the first one I did and the second one I did was six and a half hours. So I shaved that off. I could have shaved off even more, uh, but I, I, there was some other parts of the experience that I, that I wanted to have and wouldn't trade that. But I have every aid station. Those aid stations are about 18 to 20 miles apart. And it's not 18 to 20 road miles. It's 18 to 20 mile, uh, uh, I'm sorry, mountain miles. And those are, those are a lot slower than what you'll get if you hit the pavement or even head up to Cuyahoga Valley National Park. So you're running up and down mountainous trails. That's right. 
Yeah. Yeah. And what, what is your, what, 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 you know, like, uh, people will say, Oh, here's my pace, my, my nine minute pace or seven minute pace when you're running shorter distances. What, what kind of pace did you have? You know, uh, yeah, very hour. fair question. I, I've often said if you're on a road mile, um, and let's say you run a, a seven, seven and a half minute pace on a road mile, you can expect to do one and a half times that when you get onto a trail mile like Cuyahoga Valley National Park, um, even mountain bike trails in, in Quail Hollow. But then if you want to put that into the mountain, you're you're easily going to have to double that or triple that for a mile pace. And it really depends on where you're at. If you're coming down a mountain, uh, for me, that's a strong suit. It, it, that sounds kind of funny because you think if you're coming down a mountain, everybody goes fast. But that, that's, that's not necessarily true. For me, that, that is a strength. Um, when you're going up a mountain, of course, it depends on the incline. But on average, you could expect uh, to be 15 to, to 20 minutes on a mile easily. And if you get later in that race, so the, the Tahoe race I ran, Tahoe 200, it's about 205 miles. And if you get 205, later, you can... 205 miles, right? Can you hear me a little bit better, Randy? Right. You're, you're... Uh, I feel you're great now. Okay, perfect, perfect. perfect. So, so 205 miles. And what do they call this race? It's just called the Tahoe 200. The Tahoe 200. Right, and so so running downhill is not an easy thing, right? I mean, that's that's typically more you're saying more stressful on the body than running up. For sure, um, you've got momentum, um, but it has a different impact on your joints, has a different impact on your energy, the efficiency of your muscles. Uh, I, again, I always tell people, I know my strengths, and everyone has to learn theirs. Uh, coming downhill. I, I brace really well for that, and I can keep a, a good speed coming down. Going uphill, I may not take that uphill as fast as many people, and I'm totally fine with that. I, I often have people that pass me on the way up uh, a mountain in that case um, or, or hills in some of the 100-mile races, and I'm content because when I reach the top, I, I might have greater for my body. I may, may have spent my energy more efficiently than they did even though they passed me on the way up. So when I get to the top of those, often I will pass them. And, and then when I get to downhill, that's my strength. And so I, I strategize um, my races accordingly. So, and the first time you ran, you said you weren't satisfied with your performance, right? So you wanted to do it better the second time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's part of what keeps me going at these. I, you know, when I really, when I signed up to do Tahoe 200, what I really wanted, my goal was to finish. And that should be everybody's goal. And I should have, maybe I could have been happy with that. And I was. But I learned things in that race. Anytime you do a, a, a race of any distance, you will learn something. You'll learn something about the terrain. You'll learn something about nutrition. You'll learn something about your body and how it responds to distances like that. So, when I took Tahoe 200 for the first time, I hard charged it, much like I would if it was a 50-mile or 100-mile race. And um, I, I, I expected that to work out for me. But in the mountainous region, there are, so much of that terrain are huge rocks. Some are boulders, um, but some are just um, – Think of it as a gravel, only much bigger rocks on the trail. Uh, and we get out into areas uh, going around Lake Tahoe that most people won't ever be. So it's not like a crushed limestone trail. Uh, so on that terrain... So, so you're talking about a very, very primitive trail. Oh, right? Extremely, extremely. So when I went through that too hard, I was rolling my ankles a lot. I can do that on, on some of the, the lower distance races, but over 200 miles, that catches up to you. So I overstretched my tendons. And if you look at pictures of my ankles at the end of that race, I literally, I, I just grinded my way to the end. I, I didn't want to quit. And so I got across, but I, man, I was in a lot of pain. And I was, for a long time, I'd say six, eight weeks easily, I just, 
I had a hard time getting my body to recover from that. So I, I felt like I finished, but I didn't finish well. You didn't finish well. So, yeah, I, I, in the back of my mind, I was thrilled that I had finished a 200-miler. But I, as I looked at it, I thought, man, I, I can do this better, I think. And so I, I started putting a plan together for how I could go out there and do that. And uh, like I said, I cut six and a half hours off that time. And I was really happy with that. More, I think uh, yeah, the, the best part of that, though, is my body responded exceptionally. And this is not a testament to me, and this is not beating my chest. This is a testament to the, the human body. It, when we treat it well, when we train well, when we put right nutrition in it, and um, once our body learns, our body accommodates. And I finished that 200. I could have kept going. I, I ran across that finish line. And I would never forget, I, I got up to use a restroom in the middle of the night the next uh, uh, the night after I finished. And I didn't even think about, you know, how does my body feel? And I was crawling back into bed and I thought, huh. How about that? I didn't even feel an ache. And I got up the next morning and and walked out. Um, we were right there at the base of, of the mountain range. And I walked out and the, the people that I was staying with, she looked at me and she said, my gosh, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. You're just walking around as if normal. And I laughed at that because it was laughable. It, it's audacious to think that you could feel so good after after doing 200 plus miles but I, I felt exceptionally well. And now you attribute that really when, when uh, you know, I was re recently watching, a lot of people are watching Netflix, right? So I watched a documentary and uh, it was called The Game Changer. And it talked about how athletes, including Arnold Schwarzenegger, has changed their diet completely to a plant-based diet, plant-based diet. And the remarkable performance uh, that comes from not eating any meat, any dairy, uh, any animal protein. And I've been an animal protein person my whole life. And so I tried it, you know, just recently this week, and it is incredible. Uh, the energy, you just don't, whenever, you know, whenever I'm eating eggs, meat, uh, of any kind, chicken, you just always feel tired when you're done. And they're saying that it actually, that the meat protein actually can reduce your vessels by up to 30%, which obviously restricts the flow of blood and the, how you carry oxygen and so forth. But a plant-based diet uh, actually can expand your, your vessels, your blood vessels, increase your circulation by up to 30%, and also eliminates inflammation. Were you eating meat along this uh, this race, or what? What kind of food were no. you eating? No, not at all. And and these races, you don't always know what you're going to be in the mood for. But it was never a part of my plan to consume meat during this. And and I am not I'm not vegan. I'm not vegetarian. But my eating habits are largely in line with each of those. So I, I don't eat a lot of meat. I rarely eat meat. Um, and when I do, it's, it's pastured, so it's very nutrient-dense, um, very lean. Uh, but no, no way, shape, or form uh, will I take meat in during this. I, uh, ta so we'll, we'll talk about Tahoe again from a 200-mile perspective. We know that when you do a good workout, you're requiring a lot out of your muscles. And so um, you, when you have torn down muscle as part of the, um, the workout process, it's craving nutrients to rebuild it. So my thought um, and part of my strategy this time was rather than eat the foods that they had at the aid stations every 20, 20 or so miles, I would bring my own. And, and that worked out perfectly for me. So, so, so you um, packed, you packed your own food. And you would say that clearly a plant-based diet, uh, when, you, when you're, you know, you, your body was obviously very, very sensitive to how efficiently you use calories and the food that you eat, but you really obviously optimized your performance by eating vegetables, right? Uh, yeah. Fruit, right? Were you eating bananas or what? What kind of what kind of food did you eat? Bananas are great because they help to settle your stomach. Um, bananas, apples, green tea was a really important one. Um, nuts and seeds, chia seeds, ginger, um, apples, blueberries. Blueberries were a staple. Um, at times, I would mix, uh, have granola mixed in with those, and 
and that. Uh, and then um, speaking of vegan plant-based diets, there is a brand called Vega, uh, and they make a meal replacement shake. So I would use those powders uh, with a, a coconut milk or an almond milk um, or water and uh, and mix in chia and ginger and things like that. And um, and that was a, a big powerhouse for me. So were, was there ever, when you were, um, when you were going into this, did you ever think like, what, what am I doing? This is, this is just, this is too much. Did you have uh, those periods or no? No, I, so you will always, you'll have mental struggles. And I remember the first time I ran this, that I was, I was a third of the way through. And I remember emotionally reaching a point I, I have never been in. And like, I, I thought I, I could have wept. It was the most bizarre thing because I've never had that feeling running, but there was something so hard about it. And I had to reach so deep. I, I arrived at a place that I've, I've never felt before. And, and so you will have, you can have a moment like that. Was it, was it, was it physical or mental or both? It's both. Uh, someone said a long time ago, it's when you are training, it's 90% physical and 10% mental. But when you race, it's 10% physical and it's 90% mental. I don't know that those statistics, I, I would stand up for exactly those percentages, but it, in theory, what it's saying is true. Right. You right. have to be mentally tough. And, and if you hit 100 or, or you hit these 200-mile races, it will ebb and flow. And you will look uh, at times into the depths of yourself in ways that uh, many other times you're, you'll just never be challenged to that level. And so I, I did have that the first time. The second time, uh, my experience wasn't so much, partially because I'd been there before and I knew what to expect. But you absolutely, you, there's always going to be something that you didn't anticipate. And so it, it creates mental. Um, it's a, it creates men, it's a mental challenge, but you really have got to be mentally tough. I mean, no doubt about it. How about, sure. how important is it with the people that you surround yourself with? I mean, I can't imagine that you're hanging out with a lot of people saying, Oh, you're not going to do this. This is too yeah. hard. It's not healthy. I mean, I'm sure you've heard, you know, everybody has the critics. Funny story, and, and this wasn't being critical. Before I ever ran my first marathon, my mom said to me, oh, why do you want to do that? That's gonna, that, that can't be good for your body. And you're right in that you, you do want to close out. You, you want to shut your mind off to that. Uh, well, provided you're not doing something stupid. And in this case, right. I, I didn't feel like I was doing something stupid. So I, forward that uh, several years. When I ran both of my Tahoes, my mom and my dad were part of my crew, and they're fantastic. But I'll never forget <laughs> my mom, who told me years ago, years ago are you sure you're, you should even do that 26 miles? She's now at the 200-miler, and I got to the last stage, uh, the last couple stages of that race. So I'm probably 190 miles into this, and I was, I was hurting. I, I already mentioned that. My legs were swollen, and she looked at me, and she said, you can do this. <laughs> Isn't that so, something? And, and she was waiting at the finish line. So, so um, your so your mom really you you made her a believer in the beginning, and then when you start to struggle, she's like, "Come on, you can do this." Yes, and and so she was speaking belief into me at that point. And so you always, anytime you do something that's not common, you're always going to get people that detractors, right? because they don't always like to see someone doing something that, that they, they won't, don't want to do, or maybe they can't do, or maybe they just truly are skeptical. Like, Hey man, is this really good for you? But, um, well, when you I, told I, me that you I ran two, when you told me you ran 200 miles, I'm like, what? Two, like, yeah. you know, I, I couldn't, it could, couldn't even fathom that. And, uh, and then, and then when you decided to do it again, very, very impressive. So, Randy, uh, it's just incredible what you've done, and really you are a model to all of us out there as to how far you can push yourself if you put your mind to it and if you prepare and train. What would you, uh, in closing, what would you uh, like to offer to our listeners when, 
you know, you think of, uh, it's just a lot of people out there going through a lot of challenges right now. How important is your mind and your attitude when you're facing challenges? Well, it, it's huge because what comes in our mind is what, what comes in our, uh, comes out in our actions. Right. And these are, these are hard days, but it's not like when COVID ends that there aren't going to be hard days because there were hard days before and there, there will be again. And, you know, my heart goes out to anyone ever going through their hard days. But our, our mental approach to that is, is everything, right? And um, I, I would tell you, if you relate this to running, um, we, all run, we all run a race, right, in some way. Our life, we're going to have trouble. That is guaranteed. Um, and, and so whether it's physical or it's mental, um, I would tell you, you don't, you don't need to have the mammoth. You don't need a 200-mile race or more. Um, it, people often feel embarrassed when they, they bring up a, a race and they'll say, oh, well, I just did a 5K. I said, don't ever say you just did a 5K. Those are some of my – I've teared up at 5Ks because I watch the people coming at the end of those races and the spirit – that is alive in them is just amazing to me. And I celebrate that. So there is no just, there's no just in running. And there's also no just in life um, because our, um, what may feel little to someone is going to feel big to someone else. And so we all have our challenges. I'm grounded in faith. Um, you know, ultras are one of the places I get my quiet and my, my joy, my happy and Psalm 23 always comes to mind uh, for me, and and that's just something I'm. I would say I meditate on, um, but it's always running through my mind. And I would tell everyone um, that's what it is for me. And uh, I think being grounded in faith is a big, a big part of how we get through the trials that life always gives us, but certainly is giving us now. Psalm 23. That's excellent, Randy. Randy, it was great having you on the program. You are very impressive. And you are a model to everybody out there that it doesn't matter the size of your race, the size of your challenge. You know, the, the, the saying goes, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. And you got a lot of fight in you, Randy. And we're glad, we're really glad to have you on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, Dave. All right. And uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to the newly elected Stark County Prosecutor, Kyle Stone. He's going to be starting his term here in 2021. He's got four degrees, law degree, public administration degree, and uh, he also has a degree in ministry. So he's bringing a lot of experience, and we'll be talking to him when we come back. Good morning. It's Saturday morning, 37 degrees outside, nice and sunny. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. And uh, we've got a first-time interview here with our new, newly elected Stark County Prosecutor, Kyle Stone. Kyle is 37 years old. He has four degrees. And so he's a very, very well-prepared young man. And he is going to be serving as the new Stark County Prosecutor as he won a uh, very close, close victory uh, over the long-standing county prosecutor, John Ferraro. And uh, Kyle's on the line with us. Kyle, how are you this morning? I'm good, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. And, you know, this is uh, this is really impressive because you not only are, I think, uh, could be the youngest county prosecutor that's ever been elected to this office, but you're also uh, the first African-American that is in, in this office, and this has got to be an exciting time for you. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful to the citizens of Stark County who um, thought enough of me to, to give me their vote and their support. And so I'm really excited for this opportunity. Um, you know, it's historic, but at the same time, we have work to do. There are some promises that I made to the people, and I intend to keep those promises. So that's what we'll be focusing on, is making sure we do what needs to be done to protect all of Stark County. Now, what are some of the priorities that, uh, when you talk about the promises, what are what are your top priorities as as the next county prosecutor? You know, one of them is I mean, there's a few of them. We want to, you know, regain the trust of the community fully, um, of the full community back. And um, one of the things is making sure that we are transparent 
um, in the processes, but not maybe during an investigation because we want to make sure that we maintain the integrity of our investigations and, and uh, proceedings and whatnot. However, uh, we want to be able to have a yearly roll-up or roll-out of, you know, the um, case information, which would include um, the age, the sex, the race, the attorney status, the uh, initial indicted charges, and then the convicted charges, if any, who the judge was. Uh, I want to have that roll up every year so that not only are we holding ourselves accountable for those results, but the community will um, hold us accountable as well. So that's one of the priorities. Another priority is ensuring that uh, um, there's a, a great communication between um, the prosecutor's office as well with our uh, local law enforcement offices. You know, whether it's the sheriff's office, whether it's the, the uh, um, townships, whether it's um, the, the city police right. force. We just want to make sure that we uh, um, understand that we work together and that we have to hold each other accountable. Accountability is a big deal for me. So uh, we have to make sure that we're holding each other accountable and be willing to receive feedback when necessary or assistance when necessary. So that's a priority. Um, and then another uh, priority is making sure that we're using our other community partners to help us uh, make Stark County safe, whether that's some reentry programs, whether that's uh, um, drug uh, um, treatment programs, whatever we can utilize to make uh, Stark County better. That's what we want to do because we can't do it by ourselves. We must do it together. Now, uh, now, Kyle, what would you say? So we've got, you know, uh, thousands of listeners out there right now. Uh, what would you say is the, you know, the, the primary responsibility as the Star County prosecutor? The number one priority is um, obtaining justice. And uh, I believe that the uh, American Bar Association gives guidance with regard to the, the responsibilities and duties of a, the prosecutor. And the number one um, responsibility is to seek justice. Um, if justice is the priority, um, everything else falls in place. It's okay to be transparent when justice is your focus. It's okay. You're comfortable with unifying with people um, when justice is your focus. And so we can't just be concerned about um, getting conviction rates uh, and, and those things. It has to be justice is the focus, and everything else will fall into place. Absolutely. Now, now would you say that um, you know, uh, in the past, like when you're talking about conviction rates, like, uh, so for example, if you have, uh, just so that people get a better idea of, of what the prosecutor's role is, mm -hmm. that if you have a police officer or a sheriff's deputy, they make an arrest on, on an individual mm -hmm. and then they bring that individual in, into jail, let's say. And, uh, and then of course they turn their, uh, case over to the prosecutor's office, right? Right. And, and the prosecutor's office will do what? They'll say, okay, this person has been arrested for, you know, a particular crime, and then the prosecutor's office, they review it, right? Right. So, so generally, though, it, generally how we do it in Stark County, or it has been done in Stark County, is it will go to um, the municipal court first. Okay. And so um, depending on the charges, you know, because if only felony charges get to the Stark County prosecutor's office. Okay. However, so if there's a mixture of misdemeanors and felonies, it'll still go to the municipal court first, mm -hmm. and then they go through the process of uh, possibly having a preliminary hearing um, at the municipal court level. If um, an individual decides to waive um, that you know, preliminary hearing, then it'll go straight to the grand jury. Uh, and Or if they go through with the preliminary hearing and then the judge at the municipal level finds that there is enough probable cause to believe that a felony um, could have occurred or did occur, uh, then they'll send it to the grand jury. And so once it goes to the grand jury and there's an indictment that's returned from the grand jury, that's when our uh, um, office begins our investigation. The, the grand jury is our responsibility, um, but we present it to the grand jury. They decide uh, if there's, you know, if what the charges should be. And then once the charges have been established, that's when the individual will then get arraigned on the, in the common pleas court, and then we will go through our process, whether it's more investigation that must be done, we'll work with the police force, or uh, we might have enough evidence to go, you know, get a resolution in the case or go to trial and, you know, fight it there. Right. Now, now as, the, as the prosecutor's office, the, 
the uh, the county prosecutors that you have working in your office, they will actually uh, be navigating the the case through the the grand jury, correct? Or they help facilitate uh, the process. Is that right. so, is that correct? So, so correct. So one of the the uh, individuals on the staff will navigate it through the grand jury. If they're the attorney sending it through the grand jury, they uh, will not be the attorney that that uh, tries the case. Okay. So okay. Is that just is that yeah. by law or is that just going to be one of your policies? Well, I think that's currently what the policy is now, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that's a fair policy. That if there's you know to keep it clean, um, to keep it you know to make sure everything is in order, you know one department or one uh, um, attorney you know sends it through the grand jury and then it gets signed to based off of um, the judge gets assigned to is how then we'll know what assistant prosecutor will review it because. The cases are assigned randomly um, in the common pleas court. So because the assistant prosecutors are on um, uh, rotation with the common pleas court judges, it's based off of what judge it's assigned to, and that's how we'll know what um, uh, attorney will get it. So that's how we know that the attorney that's in the grand jury won't be one of the attorneys um you know, on that side, on, the, on that case. So um, now how many uh, employees are in the prosecutor's office roughly? Do, um... uh, approximately 64 or 65. Okay. So you, you've, you've, okay. So there's like, so not including yourself, there's about 65 employees. Correct. And what's interesting about this is that uh, you ran as a Republican mm-hmm. and uh, John Ferraro was serving as a Democrat. And I know that you are, uh, you know, you, you do not want to make this a political, um, uh, you know, approach you. You're you're a seeker of justice and truth, right? And service Correct. to the people. Correct. And so, how how are you going to handle this transition where you have, you know, the majority of all the employees that are there are, um, you know, Democrats? Uh, does that matter to you? How do you plan on going about this transition? Well, you know, you know, rightfully so. Um, some people, you know, will decide to move on um, because that's just what they would like to do and i can respect that um and i can you know that's people's personal right uh, position and they can do what they desire uh we are planning um sit downs with each each individual i have no problem with if someone's a democrat um working i mean because the reality is this um justice doesn't have a political party absolutely Uh, we have to make sure that we are uh, um, focusing on the goal, and that's justice. And so that's what I want to make sure that I do. And so if those individuals who happen to be a, a Democrat or independent or, you know, they may not even share what their position is, but um, as long as they're willing to do the job and, um, you know, there's no other other issues that might exist, I mean, I don't see no problem with uh, with them remaining in the office now the reality is that's great that's like great said, that's that's great but no transition every time there's a transition there's always going to be changes that's just rightfully so right um any change of uh, leadership or office like that so there will be changes however um there's not uh, an approach that only you know republicans can work in the office that's you know you know that's just not going to happen that's uh, you know it's great to hear that Kyle because you got you got a lot of very very good people working over at the county prosecutor's office and doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat as long as they want to bring the best to uh, best service to the people in Stark County and uh, Kyle we're going to take a quick break and uh, and uh, and then and then we'll be back well actually you know when we look at it we're run, running out of time here but uh, what would you like to say first off we greatly appreciate you being on the program. Um, and uh, you got to be excited. This is going to be your. This is going to be you know your first time in elective office, right? Yeah, absolutely. First time. Uh, it's very exciting. Uh, there's a lot of responsibility, um, and I was told by some wise people: whatever you do, make sure you have people around you that's smarter than you. So, that's right. Uh, I will make sure that, that happens. And if I could say uh, one thing is to the people is that. Uh, um, justice is our priority, and I will ensure that justice will remain the priority uh, throughout my time in office, and the people will see the difference. And you know what else is interesting, and it's great to hear, Kyle, because uh, you're also a minister, right? Yeah. You're an ordained minister. You have a doctorate in in uh, ministry, correct? Just a master. Only have a, a master's. A master's. Yes. 
And so that's really a unique blend, a county prosecutor and also a minister. Yeah, and, it's, it's because at the end of the day, as a Christian, and, and, and I always tell people, um, I don't ever want to present myself as the perfect individual because I'm by far from that. However, um, as a Christian, um, to be able to approach criminal justice reform and criminal justice, the system from a Christian perspective uh, uh, makes it just a little bit easier um, and people can, you know, you can kind of navigate through it from a different perspective rather than, um, you know, just being concerned with conviction rates. So um, hopefully my values will be reflective in uh, the decision making that I make over the next four years or more. Um, and so we're excited about the opportunity, um, excited for the, the the ability to touch the lives of people in a positive way. So I'm excited. Absolutely excited. Well, Kyle, we are we really appreciate you coming on the program. Very excited for you. Um, you know, you worked really hard for this, and uh, you pulled off a very, very impressive win. You got uh, 65 great employees, uh, some of which, some of them may stay, and some of them, uh, you know, may decide to move on. But it's really great to hear that you're going to give all of them uh, an opportunity to work with you and uh, to provide the best possible service to the people in Stark County. So thank you very much for being on the program. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good Saturday. Absolutely. You too. This is David Held, and you're listening to News Talk 1480 WHBC. We had two great guests on here today, Randy Whitmer, who ran not just one 200-mile race, but two 200-mile races, and shaved six hours from the first race for his personal best. And then we also talked with Kyle, who is going to be the next Stark County prosecutor. And uh, very, very exciting times. So thank you for listening to us this morning, and uh, we'll be back. I was going to say, for for people that are listening that are wondering, Ohio State is supposed to be next. Um, But Ohio State, obviously, in a position where due to COVID, they will not be on next. Um, Instead, there will be a a special COVID update, uh, followed by a classic game broadcast. I believe they're going to air the 2002 Ohio State-Illinois game, and that was from the the season that the Ohio State Buckeyes won a national championship in with Jim Trussell as head coach. So that is coming up next year, and um, you're still going to get a fix of Buckeye football in some way this morning, but uh, not the fix that I think many would like with it being a game that that matters this year. But Buckeye football will still be on in in some capacity, just not the capacity that we're used to. We're just going to have a – we're going to take a – an old game, and we're going to play it again. Yeah. I hope they win. I, I, yeah. We're not going to play a losing game, right? They, they win this game. Okay, they, that's they, good. They definitely win this game. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Well, John, thank you for uh, producing the show here this morning, and uh, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be cutting it off here at uh, uh, short, 1030, and they're going to get a COVID update, right? Yep. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening today. Have a wonderful, wonderful Saturday, and we'll be back again next week. This is David Held.